The following episode was recorded live on stage at the Oconee County Democratic Party fundraiser on September 17th. We were blessed to be able to interview two incredible women, Cassie Owens-Moore and Lakeisha Benson. We here at the Black, White, and Blue in the South podcast operate on a zero-dollar budget. As such, we don't have fancy equipment to take on the road for an event like this. So, we seek your indulgence as the audio quality is not quite where we like it to be. However, it does improve as the show went on, and the stories Cassie and Lakeisha shared with us are too amazing not to share it with you. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to Black, White, and Blue in the South, a podcast discussing democratic politics with a Southern flair. I'm Bill Kimmler. I'm Jamil Brooks. And we're coming to you from Seneca, South Carolina. A little red county and a very red state. If you like what you hear, please leave a rating, share with your friends, Follow us online, or better yet, don't let Lauren Boebert into more public theaters. <laughs> Obviously, that lady's got some issues to work out, and you don't want her doing it in front of your children. You can always drop us a note at black, white, blue, in the south at gmail.com. You can also follow us on our Facebook page. You can listen to our podcast on all of your favorite podcast apps. You can even check us out on YouTube. And as of this morning, we are now on Twitter. I refuse to call it that other stupid name. <laughs> I've been on Twitter forever. Forever it shall be Twitter. Links to everything, including all material in today's episodes, are found in the show notes. Let's work to push our political IQs through the roof. Hey, Jamel. What's up, Bill? We're not in Kansas anymore. I know, right? But listen, did you enjoy your ride in? No. I did. I thought we got food. I was scared. You were scared. <laughs> well, listen, I'm from Greenwood, so not much scares me. <laughs> we drove an hour and a half from our comfort zone in Greenwood, and we are on the beautiful shores of Lake Kiwi. Now, I had uh, to Google that to learn how to pronounce it correctly. Speaking of pronouncing things correctly, uh -oh, it turns out I've been mispronouncing your name for the past six months. Okay, wait. How, how have you not reached across the table and slapped me upside the head for saying Jumel when it's Jamil? First of all, that was our family business. We weren't going to bring that. Oh, there's a, everything is fodder for the cash. So, um... Because Bill was coming from a good place, right? So I could tell it was a good place. And this is how you would know we're in a true relationship. I would say, he would say, hey, it's Bill. And I would say, it's Jamil. And then Bill would say, Jamil. And I'm just like, <laughs> a typical relationship. He's not listening to me. Listen, I, I, I listen and I'm hearing what I'm going to hear. Well, look, just to make it even, okay. we're going to talk about how you pronounce my name. Now, my name is K-I-M-L-E-R, and I know how you say that. No, it is pronounced Kiblovich. That's what I do. All the letters are silent. 
and they add a few extra syllables, but I figured you ought to know I let that slide without bringing it up no, here. but on that pronunciation, I do need to apologize to um, Fanny. It's Bonnie Willis. And if you listen to one of our previous podcasts, I did her an injustice. As much work as she's doing for us, I don't owe her a tremendous apology. Her name is Bonnie Willis. So shout out to Miss Bonnie. I do apologize. Please don't hold that against me. She did send us a hate letter. <laughs> She did not. Demand an apology. So anyhow, for those that don't know us, let's introduce ourselves quickly. Uh, my name is Bill. I am the chair of the Greenwood County Democratic Party. I am also a former candidate for State House District 13. Uh, I ran in 2022 against John McCravey. Hi, I am Dr. Janelle Brooks. I am the first vice for the Greenwood County Democratic Party. Um, I have never actually run for a position. So all this passion that you all get has this like untamed passion that Bill has like opened the door for me just to pour out all over South Carolina. All right. And what a mess it was. So I pitched this idea of starting a podcast with Jamel uh, back in July. I'm a huge fan of podcasts, been on a few episodes myself. Jamel was game to try it, so we knocked out a few episodes just to see what it was like. People started to listen to it. You know, we were doing it just for our own amusement. People actually liked it. And, and we were getting reviews that said that Jam, uh, Jamil and I had a rapport. So I had to look up that word in the dictionary. <laughs> I thought it was a disease. I don't know. Uh, and, and I have to agree. We got a special thing going on. And we're doing what we can. We think we have a very unique voice for the Democratic point of view in South Carolina. But well, we got some haters out there. We got some haters. Last week, we started publishing our episodes on YouTube. And yesterday, I'm in Abbeville and got an email from the, the, the people, the bosses over at YouTube. And they said that they took down our channel. Now, it only been up for a couple of days. They took it down due to, quote, severe or repeated violations of our spam deceptive practices, and scams policy. Now, all we did was publish our episodes, and we got taken down without notice. Can you believe that? We don't even have subscribers to our channel yet. I'm it. I'm the only subscriber. And yet, one of our uh, friends in the Republican Party, I'm sure, reported us and got us taken down without uh, any notice. We were able to get back up in a matter of minutes. Don't you worry. We, we don't stand for the haters, man. They, they can't take us down. But that's not important. What's important is, how did we get here? The chair of the Oconee County Democrats gave me a call. Let's give it up for Chairwoman Joe Collins. You know, I first met Jody at an event for Mary Garrett and Anderson back in 2018. How many of y'all were there? It was over at the, uh, the convention center, right? And Jody, you were running for office at the time. So my very first exposure was to Jody, and I'm just sitting there in the front row being a participant. Jody gets up on stage as a candidate for state house. She starts doing some clog dancing, and I'm thinking to myself, boy, South Carolina politics is weird. <laughs> but she taught me a lesson that day. She taught me a lesson. I remember nothing about what she said, but I remember her clog dancing. You gotta do something to stand out from the crowd. You can't just have say all the right things and be passionate. 
you got to do something that makes you different, that are, are going to stick in people's minds. So, Jody, I want to thank you for that lesson. You didn't even know you were teaching me on that day. That was a good lesson to have. But I'm not doing any claw dancing. Oh, I'm going to ask Lena. So, Jody called me asking if I knew of any celebrities that would show up at Charles' event. <laughs> Obviously, she doubted me by accident. And too embarrassed to admit it, she then invited me and uh, Jamil to be here and record a podcast in front of you all. So after she paid the $10,000 retainer, here we are. Here we are, cash money. For up to the minute reports, stay tuned to this station. Now the news. Our lovely senator, U.S. senator, Senator Tim Scott. Let's give it up for Tim Scott, y'all. Good answer. The headline is Tim Scott never disclosed buying stocks he recently said he owned. Nearly a dozen stocks appeared on Senator Tim Scott's 2022 financial disclosure that weren't there in 2021. But the South Carolina Republican, the only member of Congress running for president, never reported buying the shares, raising questions whether he followed a mandate Congress imposed on itself more than a decade ago. How many of you are aware of that? See, now you know. What do you think about that, Jamil? You see, you see wow, many people didn't know that. It's because we have this, uh, this thing that we do in the news is where we throw so many distractions at you that something as important as withholding information for an office such as this will go under the radar. So distractions are popping up everywhere, right? Nobody sees what's happening here. And here's the kicker. In his article, Tim Scott's office said, hey, he believes in following the rules and regulations and being compliant. <laughs> they said I didn't, they, that's what they said. He believes in it, and he might, maybe he does. He just didn't believe in it that day for that report. But maybe deep down in his heart. Furthermore, in the article it said, only one of the stocks that he's purchased, Exxon Mobil Corp, appeared in his 2021 filing, uh, and he showed absolutely no transactions that he bought new shares. Yet, this is a guy in power making decisions. He bought a lot of defense contractor stocks, including Boeing, uh, for which he's responsible for making decisions. So, let's say he's guilty. Do you know what the fine is? For do, for doing this? Don't tell them that fast. Okay. Okay, you ready? Go. Tell them. You tell them. Okay. Okay, go. This is called the Stock Act uh, from 2015, I believe. Uh-huh. Violations are punishable by a $200 fine for each offense. He, he said $200. $200. $200. Let me ask this. How many of you all know another crime that you commit and the fine might be $200. Speeding? Maybe speeding? Oh, speeding. But not mentioning these type stocks is only about $200. And the article went on to talk about how because of the amount of what he omitted doesn't seem to be that much. Maybe. You know, it's not that much. It's not necessarily the amount. It's who the amount is to. 
So good boy Tim Scott, his uh, veneer is starting to falter. He start, you know, he's, he's treated as the, the good guy of all the bunch, you know, the same one, the nice one. Uh, but that, that whole persona starting to crumble. Surprisingly, and you mentioned this, Jamil, there's getting no traction on this story. I mean, only a couple of wackos over here do the story because they are plugged into the news 24-7 like I am. But, but for the most part, people don't know. But you know what? Watch this. How many of you all have been following the article about Tim Scott's marital status or lack thereof? Bam, there it is. There's your distraction. They did it again. They had you focus on, put your emphasis in, Tim Scott being married or single. His own party is saying, well, hey, you got to tell me what's going on with this marriage because I need to know something's not right. That is where your attention has gone, and this article is going under the radar. Our next article is about GOP lawmakers taking aim at LGBTQ plus safe places program in a small Florida town. Can you find the sound of me like rolling my eyes and put that in? Because <laughs> like, I do it a lot. I do it a lot when Bill reads these headlines, and I just did, and we didn't get that. I don't know how your eyeballs don't hurt all the time I'm rolling so they much. They say rolling. Mm. <laughs> So, so here's the story. In Florida, there is a small town where local businesses are putting up rainbow stickers to indicate that they are a safe spot for any LGBTQIA plus individual to come and not be judged, not be harassed, be able to be whomever they are. Well, the local Republican lawmakers don't like that. The excuse that they're using is that they saw what happened when Target and Bud Light made any type of overture towards that community, and they're afraid that it's going to affect local businesses. Basically, they're saying, let the damn bullies win. There was those eyes again. I don't know if I was see it. That's what they did. So they are saying they're going to take Floridians' tax dollars. That's what they're going to do. And they're going to try to institute different laws or pieces of legislature to say that if you own a business, you cannot display that sign that says you are welcome. Okay, so I'm gonna take it back because you'll learn that I like to do things that really don't make sense when we have these conversations, but I like to help you make sense. So let's say, like my mom loves to go to Hammers, right? She knows what day to go to Hammers on because she gets a discount. So she feels welcome on that day because she's gonna get a good discount. That's not isolating anyone. That same thing your citizens come right on in, right? So now Florida is saying that that logo or that symbol is going to not be something that is positive for the citizens of that county after they've already vote, voted locally to pass it, which is a problem to me. So here's the bigger issue. It's not saying that you just can't put a sign in your window. That's not where they're coming from. That's your amendment right. Which amendment right is it? First. First. And there's only like three things that could cause them to say don't use your right. And you know that's place, that'll be like location, time. Those things can call can call it into area where we'll have a discussion on if it is a good uh, idea for you to place that logo on your window or not. I think the legislatures are going to use that approach to say that the timing of it is not good. Um, and it's going to corrupt the environment. Listen, all I'm going to say is I think we need safe spaces for Republican lawmakers. What do y'all say?
at this time, I would like to introduce some members from the audience that we would like to have our first guest. By the way, let's have up Cassie Owens-Moore. Round of applause for just amazing woman. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being with us. Cassie Owens-Moore has gained quite a bit of notoriety in the past month, believe it or not. Now, she and I were not able to connect because she's such a busy lady. But I did some internet searching and I learned the following about her. Number one, did you know that Cassie is a seventh degree black belt in Taekwondo? No. <laughs> did you know that Cassie is a Nobel Prize winning chemist from the 60s? And she served as ambassador to Uzbekistan under the Clinton administration. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Listen, the internet has not been all that reliable for me lately. <laughs> so, so Cassie, why don't you introduce yourself? My name is Cassie Ornsmore. I am a proud public school educator of 22 years. I am currently a public school, uh, public middle school librarian. I sit on the board for the South Carolina Association of School Librarians as the Intellectual Freedom Chair. Um, I am a national uh, organizer for the National Education Association. I'm a member organizer for the South Carolina Education Association. I'm the president of the um, Oconee County Education Association. I'm on the uh, Diversity, Equity, Inclusion Committee for uh, the National Freedom to Read uh, Confederation. And um, I'm a member of the South Carolina Freedom to Read and the South Carolina ACLU and the NAACP. There's no Taekwondo. I do know some kickboxing. Okay. Yeah, I do okay. know. See, it's not all lies in Google. <laughs> Do you know Josh Malkin? I do. I'm a big fan of Who, Josh Who knows Joshua Malkin? From, he's also with the ACLU of South yes. Carolina. Uh, he spoke at our Democratic Party breakfast meeting last Saturday. Video was on YouTube. Got to check it out. He's an amazing speaker. But I'll, I'll share this with you. Uh, again, I was Googling Josh, and I included a photo of him in our email newsletter that went out to 1,300 people. I get a reply back from Josh, that's not me. <laughs> of Josh Malkin, the engineer from the UK, who's the youngest white guy with the beard looking trick, kind of like our Josh is, close enough at 10.30 at night while blurry eyed working on that email. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so so uh, you have to forgive me, you're not the only one I got the wrong arm. It's okay. <laughs> so this is how I got to know you. Uh, on September 2nd, you wrote a Facebook post, and this was the morning that uh, fake masters earning Ellen Weaver wrote a letter to the public letting them know that they are disassociating themselves from SCASA. And you wrote this Facebook post that got shared, hit my timeline, and I was just floored by what you wrote. And shared it in my newsletter, shared it online, put it out there because there are no words that I could say that could ever touch what you wrote. So you inspired me from that moment. Well, and you've got our full support. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Wow. Could you take me back to that day when uh, Fate Masters earning Ellen Weaver wrote that letter? What did you think? I was just devastated. Um, I could not believe it. A 50-year relationship 
um, dissolved um, without so much as a conversation. It was um, a letter sent through email, um, and it was really pointing out that um, that she was upset about the censorship, about how we were speaking out against censorship, and how she felt that um, we were not, you know, supporting I guess South Carolina values. And we were all devastated. Um, as librarians, we just believe in the freedom to read. We believe that students have, um, you know, a choice in what they read. But what really upset me the most was that, you know, something that I've repeated a lot of times, it's not really about the books. It's about the students who are represented in the books. And so when you start to ban books, what you're basically saying is, we don't want these students in our schools. We don't want students who identify as LGBTQ+. We don't want you know, representation in our schools. We don't want these things. And that's what my heart hears. And it just makes me upset because, first and foremost, I love my students. I love working for my students. And I do consider myself a servant in my school because I serve my population, as does you know, every librarian I know. We take this job so seriously. We, um, we shepherd our students' hearts, but we also shepherd their identities and who they are and who they're becoming. And we just believe that um, there is no place for censorship um, in, our, in our schools, in our culture. I'm not so hard, I'm about to fall out this chair. I don't know if it's <laughs> Listen, so as a public school educator, you just go to my heart. Um, and I think that is really important. Two things that you pointed out that I want to mention um, is that we are really, from the educational side, we are nurturing these little individuals to go out into the world and conquer this thing we call world, this thing we call life. And to be able to have exposure take some children further than they have ever gone. So you will have children that have never maybe even went to New York City, but you have a librarian that's able to show them that these are the books that are in New York City. So you create or help with the creativity of our children and you help prepare them. So for that, I thank you. Thank you. Um, I, teach, I teach computer science, so and it's really strange, but in my computer science class, we read. Not computer science books. Uh-uh. We go into the library. Shout out to my librarian, Kelly Ryder. Awesome. Um, we go to the library and we check out series and I read some of the books that they read and then we have discussions on them. And that really keeps them engaged. They do my computer science work and then they turn around and they read. And I think that that's awesome. Now let me get to the part about y'all uh, y'all superintendent of education. <laughs> The problem with this is, there's a common trend amongst the opposite party. And that trend is, the moment you disagree, you become the enemy. There is no growth without opposition. All opposition is not the end of the word. It should cause for a debate, a conversation. And I do not think that it is appropriate for one group or one individual to come in and say, this is a partnership that we do not need anymore. What do the citizens of South Carolina have to say about it? Did anybody get any input on that relationship and the value of it? That's a problem to me. So how does that impact, Scazzle, then, this relationship? Did the state provide funding that's now been 
come off? What's the, the material impact? Well, we did have a partnership to do our regional conferences, our, you know, so um, as far as I know, all except one has been canceled because we have an upstate conference, a Midlands conference, you know, PD, um, just all these different areas so that we can do, um, you know, professional development, get better at what, you know, we do every day because it's really hard for librarians. It's usually only one person in a school. So you don't have a lot of professional development geared toward them. So we provide professional development for ourselves, but with that relationship severed, um, that, you know, those developments, those conferences um, have been canceled, except for one. I think they're going to keep one in the Midlands, but that's really hard for everyone to get to. Our state conference is still on. Um, you know, fortunately, we were not looking for funds for them from that, but I think it really speaks to public perception. You know, what does it say about your librarians when the State Department of Education no, no, decides no, no, no. to it step says away? about them. Yes. It says about them, not right. about the librarians. Yes. Right. But public perception, that's what I'm saying. Like the way so few people are even aren't even aware of what's happened. Um, you know, that's why I was really adamant about getting the post out, getting the message out, because I was talking to friends who were saying, Why are you so upset? And I said, have you not heard about what happened? And this is a week ago, and people were like, no, I, I didn't know. And so, um, again, it just kind of flies under the radar, and, and no one really um, knows about it. And so it bothers me, it just bothers me exactly what you said, that um, there was no input from anyone, that this is just coming from one small group influencing the decision that affects everyone in the state. Um, and, and that's really not right. So I'm gonna ask you one final question then we'll get to our next guest. What can we do to help you out in this endeavor? Should we check out more books from the library? Will that help at all? Well, what, what can we do who are not experts? Well, um, right now, SCASL, South Carolina Association of School Librarians, we have an associate membership that is $15 for the year. We just encourage people to join because we feel like if you join our numbers, our membership numbers go up and we can show the state that people are with us. Um, and it also helps us with some of our funding as well. And also there's a petition, um, South Carolina ACLU um, has put together for people to sign to um, stand in solidarity with the South Carolina Association of School Librarians. Um, I think Move On um, is actually creating a, a you know a similar petition just to show support and also to uh, make people aware of what's happening. That's really, I think, the biggest thing, as you were saying, is all these distractions and people are not aware of the things that are happening. So I sincerely appreciate you two giving me this opportunity wow. to speak. Thank you so much.
She she is my emerge sister. Yes. Uh, emerge. Want to talk about emerge? If you want to. Yeah. Wait. Well, she does her intro. I don't want to because Miss uh, Cassie's intro was so long and uh, well spoken. I feel like a failure now that I've heard all. Of <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what. As a favor, I'll edit the podcast and put you first. There we go. That works. Right. That works. Yeah. Um, well, I everybody here knows me. I'm Lakeisha Benson, um, Councilwoman Lakeisha Benson. I am also the executive director of Network. Two of my former bosses are here today, so I would like to shout them out, Miss Alice Lee and Miss Summer Robert Sower. I only got fired from one of those guys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. Okay. <laughs> I was gonna have a chat with her about that offline. No, I was joking. But um, yeah, that's that's me in a nutshell. Alright, so it, that is not her in a nutshell. There's so much more, but I assume that you all know. Um, I was fortunate enough to meet this lovely person um, when we decided to take that emerge journey together. So um, not a shameless plug, but a definite plug for Emerge SC. That is a program that does the best job of training individuals to run for office and they promote women and sh promote diversity so that when you're, because here, here's the thing about it, and then we're going to go with Keisha, but here's the thing about Emerge um, in any program that is going to promote diversity. Laws are being made every day. They are. And if you don't have the right people at that table, people will get left out. Absolutely. So people who look like you or look like your neighbor, if they're not represented at that table, they're not going to be represented. If you look at our South Carolina Supreme Court, <laughs> okay. Hey, hey, friend. Uh, so, do me a favor, quick favor. Besides us loving Emerge, I'm going to ask you the favorite thing about Emerge, and then I'm going to transition to what you do in your role. Favorite moment of Emerge. Um, my favorite moment or yes. favorite thing about Emerge? Well, can we do both? Sure. Okay. My favorite thing about Emerge is that it trains women to run for office because I honestly, I think everybody kind of knows, I, I was really mad actually when I ran for office, but I don't tell people that. Um, I, but I felt like my voice wasn't represented, so I wanted to be a representative. And um, they train women specifically to run for office. Yeah, is there no Emerge for men that I could join? No, we'll pick some out. No, that train everybody, but Emerge is really empowering women. And if you have looked at our state house and our Senate, South Carolina does not have any women representation, just about. I mean, we are worse than North Carolina, Georgia. They have like double the amount, and those are also southern southern states. Um, also red states, but there we don't have women, and we don't have a lot of young people either. And I laughed when Miss Donna was speaking because she said, "Yeah, I'm, I'm not that old either, but <laughs> I'm 44." And um, you know, I just love the fact that they empower women to run for office. Attitude, yeah. favorite moment? I can't remember. My favorite moment was literally every meeting. I remember my favorite moment, I'm sorry. Yes, it was the first day when they had us all write our story as to what brought us there. And I was so empowered and inspired by the different women and their reasons because some of them were, run, were there 
they have no desire to ever run for office, but they want to help other women get in seats. Um, and you know, there were we had some people that were there. Uh, you specifically so impressed me, and I think so. This is it. This is Dr. Jamel Brooks, who is also an educator, and she really needs to run, in my opinion, and take Ellen Weaver's seat because she's far more qualified. <laughs> One alumni of Emerge SC, and that's Representative yeah. Heather Bauer. Yeah. And if you know Heather Bauer, she was the only one to flip a seat yeah. in the State House yeah. in 2022, and she is a graduate of the same program. Yeah. So they put out some pretty heavy duty players. And watch 2024 because we have um, recently graduated members of Emerge, and then those that have graduated before that are, are about to load up the ballots. So. Okay, so let's talk about, I'm going to combine her two roles. She's passionate about the NOLA Network. Y'all know the NOLA Network? Yes. Okay. And then she's passionate about her role as a councilwoman. So you tell us how those two roles can benefit from one another, or how have they? Um, in, in several ways. So if you are familiar with the NOLA Network, it's, it does not stand for anything to do with New Orleans. It stands for No Other Life Affected. And um, my son lost his life to a sudden cardiac arrest. Bill, I know you don't know who I am, so let me tell you. So um, my son lost his life to a sudden cardiac arrest in 2017. He was playing basketball and he died. Um, I was 38 years old and I was not, I didn't even know how to plan a funeral. Um, it was devastating to me. And then I started researching it because two years later, my best friend also died from a sudden cardiac arrest. And when my son died, I was told it's so rare, it's like lightning striking. And lightning is not supposed to strike twice in the same place. And I thought if this is happening to two different people that I love, both from Seneca, South Carolina, how many other people is it happening to? Um, the reason I didn't initially focus on the sudden cardiac arrest was because um, I looked at the health disparity of it. And when my son was having symptoms, because when you have a sudden cardiac arrest, 50% of people, the first symptom is death. But my son was in the 50% that had symptoms. Mm -hmm. He went to the hospital here, and instead of say, checking him for a cardiac issue, they did a blood test, a drug test. Mm -hmm. And I remember them say, coming in and saying, well, your toxicology screen was clear. Mm -hmm. And I said, we didn't come here for that. And if you raise children, or if you, I worked with children for 20 plus years, you never really know what your teenagers are doing when you're not around. But if you knew me or my kids, you know what they're not doing while I'm there. And I said that to her, I said, ma'am, I can't tell you that my 19 year old has never smoked pot. What I can tell you is he's not doing it home with his mama. So can we figure out what's wrong with his chest? Because he was having chest pains. Anyway, she said, nothing, there's nothing wrong with him. It's anxiety told not to ever try drugs if he had. I want to shake her. I need to not say these kind of things now that I'm elected. I try to be quiet about it, but I, my son was very polite. He was like, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, blah, blah, blah. But I was not polite, and uh, I let her know how I felt about the way she had uh, responded. Um, but we followed up with another physician who said, well, 
we need to just rule out anxiety. And he died before anything was ruled out. Mm -hmm. And so I started looking at those um, disparities and the African-American male is seven times less likely to be diagnosed even when they present with symptoms. Mm -hmm. So that is what made me start focusing on disparities. But there's also disparities, not just in the African-American community, but also in the Hispanic community, also for women. Women are 39% less likely to survive a sudden cardiac arrest because people don't want to do CPR on you. And in rural communities, because if you're, I'm sorry, I have a cough. If your ambulance can't get there within three minutes, then you're going to die if there's not somebody that responds appropriately. And so... I just understood the disparities that we sh that we have in rural communities, and South Carolina is a very rural place. And I just thought, listen, there are oftentimes you want somebody to do something about it. Why don't you do something about it? You know, yeah, they, <laughs> what really gets me is that if you try to talk about disparities like that, you're labeled as woke. We're causing a problem. I, I am. What, what's wrong? What, who wants to be a You're telling your story about your son, and, and horrific. And I, I, I could just talk forever about that. And my heart just is, is crushed hearing it. Because my son went through something similar. He had a fainting spell at the age of 17. And his story, my son, as you can probably imagine, was a young white male. At the doctor's office that afternoon, they had him hooked up to EKG machines, Correct. taking all sorts of measurements. Without. That was just standard operating procedure. So you talk about the disparities. I see that. Right. You know, and that's absolutely the case. And I'm just so sorry that, you know, and I'm glad you're taking it and helping support others and preventing future tragedies where you can. Thank you so much. We recently did a show on health disparities, and we were talking about the alarming rate of um, African-American women. And what I like to say is women with more melanin in their skin and how they are dying from... Um, just birth, childbirth, and, and, and our children, children die too as yes. well. Yes. So it's not just the maternal um, death rate, Correct. but also your infants die more often. And from that conversation, I had the opportunity just to talk to Bill a little bit about what it's like to be a black woman mm. going to the doctor. There's so many times when we go in and we say, my chest hurt, and they say, Nah, you good. <laughs> it might not be all doctors, but we've experienced it. In that episode, I shared one of my situations where a nurse practitioner, and I look, I prefer a nurse practitioner, let me put that out there, but a nurse practitioner looked at me and said, you're not as sick as some of the patients I see. Oh. And I thought, girl, I'm the wrong one, but I'm going to let you do it. I'm tired. I know my lungs. I wasn't breathing well, so I wasn't going to make it that day. But I don't think that's going to try that again. Well, we've got time for one more question. Okay. But I need you to tell me how the NOLA, you think, NOLA Network, prepares you to serve as a counselor. Um, it prepared me because it made me act um, more active. So before my son passed away, I pretty much just worked all the time, went to my children's sporting events. And when he, when he passed away, I had time to slow down. I started paying attention. And so through that, it was 2020 when we actually started the NOLA Network, and it was the year that George Floyd uh, died or was murdered. And um, there were locally people that were posting on Facebook, right, about how they should shoot the uh, rioters and the looters. Mm. And so I wrote a long, I didn't expect anybody to read it, Facebook post. And if you follow me on Facebook, I'm sorry. Because my posts are always really long. Um, and, um, <laughs> but they're good. 
it was it was the longest one I ever wrote, and I wrote it. I put my phone down. I got dressed, and I went to work. At noon, somebody called me and said, "Did you see that your post has been shared a hundred thousand times?" Wow. And then the Today Show called me, and um, from there, people started talking to me. I've been flown to New York, to Texas, to Florida to speak about health disparities, and there was an organization in Florida that I helped them pass legislation. Well, I'm sorry, not legislation, but their school district had uh, changed their protocols to stop children from having sudden cardiac arrest, right? And I thought, I'm doing this in other states, and I'm not doing anything at home. Mm -hmm. And so that really, I think, prepared me, and that was one of the reasons I ended up running for office as well. So then when I ran for office, I thought, I mean, girls know. Somebody will often say, I, I know when I got my report card. And what it always said, pleasure to teach talks too much, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> and, then you, and you get older, and then you learn, you start being quiet. And I can tell you my life changed when I opened my mouth and started talking. So I, was, I know for sure that lives have been saved, and then it made me run for office. But if I never started the NOLA Network, I never start talking about that, I probably would have spoken up and started speaking up about the things that I saw in my community. Yes. And so I guess that's the correlation. I'm appreciative of your passion. I, thank you so much. Thank you, Akisha. So much. Round of applause for her. To wrap this up, um, you know, we heard two very different stories, but there was one common thread. Two amazing women with two amazing uh, 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 life stories and passions, but what they had in common is that they both spoke out. Yes. They were not naturally boisterous, but on particular issues, they decided to write, they decided to speak, and that's what Jamil, Jamil and I are doing. Uh, we don't know if this podcast is going to go anywhere. We're hitting our eighth episode now. And maybe it will go somewhere, maybe it won't, but unless you actually speak, and I want to empower every one of you to hop online, let your voice be heard. Yes. Run for office, post something on Facebook, get involved at a community meeting, and just speak up. Staying silent gets us nowhere. And I, I want to say that, and I, I'm, I'm sorry that I missed this group of young ladies, if you can't tell, I'm a member of the illustrious Delta Sigma Theta. So, <laughs> so I tried to contain myself and not join them on stage. Anyway, no, I couldn't, my knees are retired. But I wanted to point out the fact that with the individuals that were here, these young ladies, that is a prime population for poll workers. Don't miss that opportunity. I get the opportunity to, uh, I'm a precinct leader, and I get the opportunity to uh, load my precinct with the adolescent population. Oh my gosh, that is the coolest thing ever, and so, Take this opportunity, if you know these individuals, these children, if they are interested and they're 16 years of age, contact your voter registration office and get that application and have them trained and ready to work the polls November. And that's a wrap for this episode of Black, White, and Blue in the South. We thank our guests, Cassie Owens-Moore and Lakeisha Benson. We thank Chairwoman Joe Zolan and all of you here at the Oconee County Democratic Party. Red dots and the red 
see. But we got to keep the faith. Keep up the hard work. All of the major progress that has been accomplished over the centuries was not one in a day, but over lifetimes of struggle and perseverance. And we owe it to them to keep fighting it for the future. Thank you for the blessing. Proceeding podcast is a product of Big Media and copyright 2023, all rights reserved.